For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out, and displeased God, and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Almighty God, as we search the scriptures to hear your voice tonight, we pray that you would open our ears to, he- ears to hear what it is that you would say to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, good evening once again. I'm Chris Myers. I'm the associate rector here at St. Bart's. And Jay is taking a well-deserved uh, break tonight. So I have with me my friend Dustin Messer. Uh, he's one of the priests at All Saints Dallas, and All Saints Dallas is the, um, our parent church, the church that planted us. So glad to have him with us tonight and say hey to him afterwards. Um, he would enjoy that, I know. So we are in the middle of a series um, out of Rowan Williams' book, Being Christian, answering the question, what are the essentials of the Christian faith and what is essential about being Christian? And he organizes his answer to that question around the topics of baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer. And This week, we're continuing our discussion about prayer. One of the things that he says in the introduction to this book about these four things, these four practices, is what he wonders what kind of people we might hope to become in a community where these things are done. So a community called the church, what kind of people might we hope to be where we are people of baptism, people of the Bible, people of Eucharist, and people of prayer? And I want to focus on this word hope tonight as we look at the scriptures, um, thinking about scripture through the lens of hope. What is the relationship between the Bible, scripture, and hope? And why, and why scripture, to sort of answer this question? Um, why do we read an ancient book from a long gone world whose practices and values and behaviors seem so foreign to us? Why do we read this book? And part of the answer to that question is that the church has always said that this is God's word to us. As Jay mentioned last week, 
from Rowan Williams' book is that we have this audacious belief that God speaks and that he speaks primarily to us through his word written. And we believe this other audacious thing that we are those who are called to listen. Um, The great creed of the people of Israel is hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is one. Hear. We're meant to be people who hear, meant to be people who listen. So the church has said that the scriptures are those things that we read, learn, mark, and inwardly digest because it is God's word written. Jesus is God's word incarnate. The scriptures are God's word written. That's how the Anglican catechism put it. And it is the primary means by which God speaks to his people. But if we're meant to listen, what is it that we're meant to listen for? What are we listening for when we listen to God's voice in the scriptures? Um, and I want to read this quote. It's, it's kind of weird. It's a little bit hard to follow, but it's going to be very important for us. Um, this is from a, a strange book called Staying with the Trouble by someone named Donna Haraway. And she says, it matters what ideas we use to think other ideas with. Okay, I'm just going to pause there. It matters what ideas we use to think other ideas with. It matters what matters we use to think over matters with. It matters what stories we tell to tell other stories with. It matters what not, not, nots, what thoughts think thoughts, what descriptions describe descriptions, what ties tie ties. It matters what stories make worlds, what worlds make stories. What does all that mean? It means we have thoughts that help us think our other thoughts. We don't we don't think from this removed place, neutral place, any time. We always think from somewhere. And the church has said we think from the standpoint of the scriptures. Or to use this language, it's the story by which we learn to tell our own story. It's the thoughts that we think our thoughts with. It's the matters that we make matters with. So I want you to keep that in mind. That it's the story that we tell our story with. As as she puts it, we would say that the scriptures is the story that makes the world and the world that makes stories. So it is God's word written. It is God's word breathed. It has authority. And these are all familiar ideas if you've been around church at all. You know, those are the famous verses in the Bible about the Bible, right? That it's God breathed, that it's given to us for instruction, for encouragement, for training in righteousness, But scripture matters also because it is meant to build up our hope. Hope matters, and the scriptures tell us that they are meant to build up our hope. This is how Paul puts it in his letter to the Romans, chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Whatever was written was written for our instruction, that through endurance and that through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I hope you noticed the word hope in the collect for today. And then there's a famous, famous collect that I've already hinted at, and we'll read it again in Advent. But this is how we as Anglicans understand scripture and the relationship it has to hope. Listen to this prayer. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant us to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may 
embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you've given us and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Cramner, Thomas Cramner, in this collect is echoing Paul. Scripture, the scripture from Romans 15, 4, when he talks about patience and comfort and endurance, and that our response to scripture is to hear them, to read them, to mark them, to learn them, and to inwardly digest them. And that when that dynamic is going on, we are being built up in hope. So how do the scriptures do this? If we accept the idea that the scriptures build us up in hope, why, why, is, it that the, why is that the case and how does it happen Well, the first thing I would say about that is the scriptures build us in hope because they teach us the character of the one in whom we hope. They teach us about the God in whom we place our hope, our trust, our faith. We're not hoping in an abstraction. We're not necessarily even hoping in an event and something that will happen, even though that's tied up with Christian hope. We are hoping in God himself. Is God who he says that he is. And if he is, we can have hope. But how do we know who he is? How do we know what he is like? The scriptures are a testament to the character of the God in whom we hope. Abraham, in the middle of his story, doesn't have anything to refer back to. <laughs> he just has that promise. But we can read the, the story of Abraham knowing its beats, its marks, what's going to happen, its heights, its depths. And we can see that, oh, God did for Abraham what he said he would do for Abraham. And we can look at all the great characters of the scriptures and we can see that again and again and again and again, that God did for them what he said that he would do for them. And therefore, we can place our hope in the character of him in whom we hope. So the scripture builds us up in hope because the scripture teaches us the character of the one in whom we hope. The scriptures also build us up in hope because they show us the lives of those who have hoped in God. So I've I've already alluded to this, but I just wanted to, from my own experience the last few weeks, the way that this has worked for me. um, Right now, the the readings for the daily office for morning and evening prayer are in the book of uh, 1 and 2 Kings and in the book of Acts. And Kings, you know, can be sort of a dark book because it's a book, it has a downward trajectory into exile. But there's always the hope that the next king will be a king who repents. And even the scriptures that that I listened to this morning, there's a story of Manasseh who, at the beginning of his reign, is the worst of the worst, basically, the scriptures tell us. He did the worst stuff. He sacrificed children. He brought false idols into the temple. He did all the stuff that is like, no, no, no. That's not what the people of God do. And he's sent into exile, but the book of 2 Kings tells us that he cried out to God and that he repented. There's hope in that, that if this evil king, Manasseh, can repent, then maybe we can too. Or in the book of Acts, especially, seeing these narrow escapes that the apostles have again and again and again, and that people are coming after them and saying, he can't preach this stuff, but then God shows up. In the power of the Holy Spirit, he delivers them from prison. He helps them escape. He helps them preach boldly. Seeing God work in these people's lives in Scripture gives us a sense that, oh, maybe God can work in me and through me in this way. 
So as I've been reading these things, they've helped me enormously because it's helped me take the long view. And it's helped me understand that God is at work because God has been at work. And if God has been at work and God is, is at work, God will be at work. And it's easy to get sort of folded in into just the anxieties of day-to-day life, um, things that are going on around us, and not zoom out and take that long view. And the scriptures help us take that long view. And in doing so, they build us up in hope. But why do we need hope? One reason that we need hope is that it pulls us towards God's promised future. It's the work of the Spirit in us that pulls us forward to God's promised future. And what is that promised future? Well, it's the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. It's the promise of the new creation. It's the promise of a temple garden where God will rule and reign forever and there will be no darkness because he will be light and every tear will be wiped away. That is the fullness of Christian hope that we are pulled towards. The fullness of Christian hope that we are pulled towards is what we say in the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Our hope is tied up with the promise of resurrection. Our hope is tied up that God will do for us what he did for his son, raising him up from the grave. It is the, prom- it is the hope that God will do for creation what he did for his son, that the creation itself will be raised up and that heaven and earth will marry it and that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But hope is also more than just a promised future. Because if it were just that, a lot of life would be very irrelevant. (laughs) We're just going towards something. What's all this about? It's not just that hope pulls us towards God's promised future. It's that hope pulls God's promised future towards us. So there's this new creation, and it's already kind of breaking in not in its fullness, but in fits and starts. Because we are in Christ, we are new creations and new creation comes into the world in the power of the spirit and power of the people of God. So that's Christian hope being manifest in the world. It's pulling God's promised future into the here and now. So that when we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we aren't just praying about a future reality. We are praying about that because the fullness of that is in the future. But we're saying right now, this day, when I'm praying this prayer that you gave us to pray, I want earth to look more like heaven. I want your kingdom to come in and through my life, in and through my family, in and through this community, in and through St. Bart's. So it's not just praying for hoping in or praying for a future reality It's praying for and hoping in that future reality breaking in, even now in the power of the Spirit. Because what Paul also tells us in Romans 15 is that hope is something that the Spirit is doing in us. When what he prays for the church in Rome is this, and I'm going to pray it over you tonight as the blessing. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It's the Spirit working in and through us that makes us people of hope. And there's part of that that's a groaning, which is what Romans 8 is all about, that the spirit is in us and in the world groaning in the travails of childbirth because the fullness of the thing hasn't come yet, but we're hoping that it does and then we're hoping that it breaks in even now. 
So the scriptures build us up in hope because they teach us who God is. The scriptures build us up in hope because they show us people that have trusted in God and God has been faithful to them. And hope pulls us towards this promised future, but it also pulls that promised future into the here and now. And all of this leads me to exhort myself and to you to say, don't settle for false hope. And also don't settle for hopelessness. And false hope is putting our ultimate trust in anything other than God, anything other than the promises he's made to us. So that could be our career, that could be our relationships, that could be money, that could be experiences, that could be leaders. God help us. But those are false hopes because those things will ultimately pass away. Everything that is good about all those things will be present in the new creation. Nothing good is lost is the promise of new creation. But they aren't the thing itself. They aren't the person itself, the one to whom we cling, the one to whom we put our hope in. So don't settle for false hope. But I would also say don't settle for hopelessness. This is something interesting that Paul says about being a Gentile. Is it sort of, being a Gentile is sort of being a hopeless person. Um, before coming to Christ. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. He tells these Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promise, having no hope and without God. That's hopelessness, to have no hope and to be without God. He's speaking into a Greco-Roman worldview the Greek view of the world was fundamentally tragic. Let me give you an example of this. Some of you will have to think back to high school, so this could be hard. The Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey. In the Odyssey, Odysseus goes into the underworld and he encounters Achilles, great warrior. Achilles is the primary mover and shaker in the Iliad, the other song of Homer. And Odysseus encounters him in the, the land of the dead. And he says, hey, Achilles, you know, people are still singing songs about you um, up above. Isn't that great? Your name is renowned and you are honored. And Achilles says, no, that isn't great. I would rather be alive and obscure and a farmer and have nobody know my name than to be dead here and people sing my name. That's fundamentally tragic. That's fundamentally hopeless. He's just a thin shade in the, in the afterlife at that point. There's no hope in that. That's the worldview into which Paul was saying they were without hope and they were without God in the world. And that view of things, that this world is all there is, so we better make the most of it and hope that maybe somebody sings a song about us on the other side because there ain't nothing waiting for us, that has a lot of more traction around these days. <laughs> There is a fundamentally hopeless view of, of the world. Even when we're sort of earnestly trying to make the world into our own image, there's, I think, a hopelessness to that. Because we're saying this is all there is and that there isn't one who can set things right and that there isn't one who will resurrect everything that is good. There isn't one who will marry heaven and earth. And this is why it's so important to think our thoughts with scripture. This is why it's so important to story our own story with the story of scripture, to go back to the quote from the beginning. 
What ideas do you make your ideas with? What story do you make your story with? What matters do you make the matter in your life with? Well, the church says that we do that with the scriptures. And because the scriptures encourage us and build us up in hope. So let me just give three sort of practical ways to think about this. Because maybe, you know, reading scripture is not practical for you right now. Or, you know, you've got kids or whatever. I would really commend listening to the, to the scriptures. And there's lots of free ways to do this. You can get the Bible, the version Bible app. And there's uh, Bible plans on there where you can just read the scriptures. They have, have them read to you. This is something that just becoming Anglican has become more and more important to me because I want to hear the word of God read to me, not just study it. Studying it's important and it's obviously something that I enjoy doing. It's obviously something that's a big part of my job. But that posture of putting myself over the scriptures isn't always, I can't be the only posture that I have towards the scriptures. I have to put the scriptures over myself. And when I'm listening and when I'm opening up myself to them, hearing them is a way to do that. Um, So you can listen, you know, on this Bible app, there's all these different reading plans. Um, There's even the Book of Common Prayer one if you want to link up with that. I would just really encourage you uh, to try that. Maybe, Maybe if you're kind of in a stale place with scripture, just start listening. And even like pick an oldie but a goodie, like a book that you know you like, like First John or something like that. Just start with that. You know, you don't have to start with the, there is one plan on there that's the Bible in 90 days. If you're, you know, if you don't want to sleep, you could do that one. Um, that's, that's pretty aggressive. So I'm not saying go listen to the whole Bible in 90 days, but pick a Psalm, pick something like that. Even I would say, maybe start with Psalm 119 and listen to it in sections because it's a Psalm about the power of the word of God in our lives for someone who's in all sorts of different circumstances, high, low, and everything in between. Psalm 119. If you're looking for a guide in this kind of way of approaching the scripture, there's a book called The Drama of Scripture. Um, And it divides the story of scripture into these acts and looks at it from the standpoint of it being a great play in which we have our own part to play in it. It's It's a great book. And it'll kind of give you this sweeping overview idea of the Bible as story. We're going to try to do this in public theology too. So I'm, I'm going to do a major plug for public theology because I, it's one of my babies and it's something I care about a lot. But next Monday, we're meeting for public theology. And if you go to our webpage, there's a link there and you can see the readings for this week. And we're going to read two articles by Tim Keller about the Bible and race, and the Bible and justice. So these are two huge questions, right, that are roiling in our culture, race, justice, and the interlinking of those things. Does the scripture have anything to tell us about those things? Does it have anything good to tell us about those things? That's an opportunity for us to have a conversation about that um, with a thoughtful person who reads the scriptures well and is very even-handed about things. So the scriptures build us up in hope, They encourage us. They show us the character of the one in whom we hope. And we have to avail ourselves of them. Um, And I know different people have different relationships with scripture and it can be a stumbling block sometimes. And, you know, if that's, if that, if you're just have a complete block with that, you know, I'd love to meet and talk about that. Um, 
because I get it, you know? Maybe you've been beat up by the Bible. Maybe it's been used as a weapon against you. Um, and it's the last place that you're gonna go to look for hope. <laughs> so if that's your story, I would love to talk to you about that. But I do want to remind us that ultimately our hope is not necessarily in an event or not in a thing, it's in a person. And do we trust the character of that person? And do we trust that Jesus Christ himself shows us the Father? Do we trust that when Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that we've actually seen the character of God? And if we do, and if we say yes to that, then we can be built up in hope. And I wanna end with this verse. It's one of my favorite, favorite verses. And I think it just succinctly encapsulates this idea that we hope in a person, not in an event, not in a thing, not in those, anything like that. And this is Paul's great exclamation, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Not me in me and my greatness, the hope of glory, but Christ in me, the hope of glory. That Christ is in me and I am him, him. And when he comes again to raise the living and the dead, to judge them, to bring resurrection life, to bring new creation, if Christ is in me, then I have the hope of glory that his glory will be my glory too, that it will be the glory of his bride, the church. So as we wait, as we pray with the spirit and the bride and say, come Lord Jesus, let us build ourselves up in hope and let us build ourselves up in hope by making ourselves people who listen to the scriptures. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.